Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Hello, it's Tony. Tony, Dustin Whitwer here. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Is that, am I coming in clear enough? Yeah, yeah. Right now you okay. sound uh, sound great. We'll uh, we'll see how it goes. I know with the whole cell phone thing, it's always a, you know, it's always a variable that you have to worry about. But you sound good right now. Good. I'm. Uh, reason I asked, I'm actually sitting in the truck. I told the guys <laughs> not to. I'm at the job site. I said, don't come over and ask me any questions for the next two hours. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be busy. And uh, I just didn't know. I'm using the truck's uh, speakers. I figured it'd be better than better than the phone itself. So. Yeah. Sure. No, I appreciate you stepping away from your uh, from your business. I know you're a construction guy. Is that right? Yep, yep, yep. Build big, uh, luxurious, big custom homes for people who come up here. And most of these houses we build aren't even their full time homes. They're just like fancy vacation homes. They spend a week or two here and spend millions of dollars on them. Now you're you're in the uh, you're in the upper Midwest. Is that right? Kind of yep. somewhere. Yeah, northern Michigan. Yep. Michigan. Yep. Man, yep. to, to us Westerners, it's like there's like east, and then there's the upper, and the, and that's and then the south, and then there's you know that's you're all in the same area regardless of which <laughs> regardless of which state it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm closer to Canada than I am to to like you know anything really. So that's that's uh, that's we 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 like to think of ourselves as as nice as Canadians. Yeah, still in winter time up there right now. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. yep. I'm I'm right on Lake Michigan, and there's a there was like a skim ice. There was hardly any wind this morning. It's really cool looking. It was a big sheet of ice out there. And That's awesome. Yeah, still winter. But well, it'll be summer nice. summer soon enough, and you'll be uh, you'll be out hunting whatever you're hunting this year, big mule deer. Or I know. Uh, did you did I see you drew a Wyoming elk tag? Maybe. Yep. Yep. I did. Um, it's uh, it's the first of hopefully many. <laughs> <laughs> see i from from your instagram feed i kind of tagged you as a uh which i've been following you now for a year maybe or so uh a, kind of a hardcore mule deer guy but you like to get out and chase elk and moose and anything else you can get a tag for oh yeah no it's uh you know i, I was a midwestern whitetail guy for so long that um and and i and i and i did the same thing that i do that i do now you know i i did devote the entire fall to it and i'd literally pack up a trailer and, and head down to some farmers uh, places that i know in illinois or iowa or ohio and or, and probably you know when i could draw a tag and in, in iowa i'd do all three and i'd stay i'd spend you know six weeks down there and and chasing mature bucks but uh once i discovered that um you know I guess I'd always been around the mountains because I, I grew up downhill ski racing, but I just never, I don't know why I never thought about hunting them. And then <laughs> one year I'm just like, I heard someone, you know, maybe it was a, something I read, but it's like, I'm going to go try to kill an elk. Didn't know anything about what I was doing. And uh, I think I killed five in the next three years. And uh, I I think I've only hunted the Midwest once, uh, besides Kansas. I still hunt that every year, but that's, that's I, I, I hunt that a little differently than I do 
the rest of my stuff in the Midwest because there's no trees. But yeah, that's that's pretty much all I do now. It yeah. consumes me. Yeah, that's what uh, <clears throat> kind of threw not not threw me off, but I guess impressed me or caught my attention. I should say, um, I was listening to you on another podcast, and I mean, you spend you spend a, a, a large amount of time in the, in the uh, back country, uh, in the fall. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I usually leave, uh, I usually leave around the first week of August, depending on what tag I, I drew. Um, I drew, a, a Utah general deer archery tag last year. So I left, I think right around the first of August and, uh, yeah, end up going to Colorado and scouting for a week and then Utah scouting for a while. Um, which kind of backfired on me there, but um, because uh, I ended up rushing back to Colorado and it was kind of a, it was a little bit of a fiasco. It's one of those things you, and I'm trying not to do it this year. I don't want to have conflicting dates on tags to as little as I can, anyways, because it, you get that grass is greener idea in your head. <laughs> and, you know, you think, man, something, you know, the second something doesn't go right, you're like, I should be somewhere else. I should be, I should be going back to Colorado. It's not a good feeling, not a good thing to do. So, so do you now? Are you just an archery guy, or do you pick up a, a rifle at all? Or, oh no, I I'm a, I'm a I'd hunt him with a, a spear if I if, there was a, <laughs> if I thought I could get a, a better tag at a better chance at a mature animal. That, I, that's what I always say. I'd I'd hunt him with a bazooka um, or a sling, yeah. or a slingshot if I had to. Yeah. I think that um, just growing up where I where I did, uh, you know you. In Michigan, you know, when we're deer hunting with a firearm, you know, 100 yards is a long shot. It's <laughs> it's big, big timber. And so, I mean, and I grew up a ballistic nut. I mean, I was literally, my dad would get, you know, Remington used to have these catalogs. They'd, they'd ship out once a year. And in the back of the catalog, it was like a centerfold. It had all the different, you know, calibers from a 458 wind mag all the way down to a 22 Hornet. And my dad, I literally would just wear that thing out. And I would, you know, I'd. We're talking like a little kid here, and I would tell my dad what kind of guns I was gonna have someday, and I was, it was, uh, you know, that's what I wanted to do. But by the time I was eight, he gave me a a, a bow he bought at a yard sale or someone from work or somewhere, and it was, um, it was a, actually a, an adult compound, like a target bow. I want to say it was an AMF, and we we it was bright blue and white. We spray painted mm-hmm. it. And, um, I shot off the shelf with that thing for probably a year before I actually got like a little flipper rest and put it on it. And yeah. <laughs> I just, so archery became, it was easier to, to practice for me without, you know, having adults around and, and it just, it was easier to, I mean, you, you, you get sick of punching paper with a rifle at a hundred yards, uh, here. So yeah, I definitely, I took to archery more, but to answer your question, I, I definitely uh, have no problem chasing animals with a with a gun. And actually, this year, um, that one Wyoming tag you that I that I drew already, I specifically applied for it. I only had one point because I just hunted Wyoming out two years ago. But I I applied for this one because Wyoming has elk tags that are type one, type nine, and some of the type ones it's a firearm tag. You can mm-hmm. hunt it, you know, with the archery if you just buy the special archery, you know, license or or fifty bucks or seventy bucks, whatever it is. Then they have some areas, some units that they do not allow you to hunt the archery uh, with it, with that type one, and then that's where they have the type nine tags. Oh, yeah. Well, this this uh, this one Wyoming tag that I did draw was uh, one that doesn't give a whole lot of licenses out in the type nine. It doesn't give a whole lot of licenses out in the type one, 
but for some reason it still only takes a handful of points i mean i think it's like a guaranteed draw with three or four points and uh i thought you know looking at go hunt and i thought yeah there's probably a 20 percent chance i can draw this with one point and i know there'll only be you know whatever 100 or so bow hunters in before me uh and also that firearm tag is in october and it won't interfere with the tag i know i'm already going to draw uh, i'm cashing in my colorado elk points this year so i'm going to be hunting archery colorado elk so whole month of september probably <clears throat> yeah well i'm going to try to i'm going to try to also hunt deer in, in september too but it's uh you know i i the tag that the, the area i've been hunting in colorado has, has become a one point unit uh the last few years it's bumped up so I won't be able to hunt it every year, so I'm going to change something up. Um, and who knows? I might even end up hunting my second choice uh, tag this year in Colorado. I don't know, but yeah. definitely oh, September's hopefully going to be Colorado, and then uh, Wyoming. And I'd love to sprinkle in a, a something on something exciting like a Wyoming or Idaho uh, uh, goat tag, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep our fingers yeah. crossed. Um, are you, uh, are you a guy that'll do multiple, you know, I, I know that you, like you said, you probably spend more time, uh, in one chunk in the back country for a specific hunt, but are you still a guy that will, you know, double fist a couple of tags at the same time, so to speak, or are you just kind of a, I'm going to hunt, I'm going to hunt my elk tag. And then, you know, if I tag out, then, you know, go whatever, whatever the case is buy an over the counter deer tag or wherever you're hunting, uh, whatever the options are. I, I I have the ability to I think focus on things pretty good. Um, I think that's one of my my strengths I've always had. So I'll set my mind to okay I'm gonna go into this area with two tags in my pocket, and it doesn't matter how many elk I see. I came here to kill a deer first, and that's what I'm gonna do. I'm only gonna kill an elk if I if it's almost inconvenient not to do it. Um, <laughs> like I've got so, it. I've got it. You, you always have that situation where you're stalking <laughs> a mule deer. I know what you're talking about. You're stalking a mule deer. Oh, yeah. And you're 200 yards. Go yeah. that canyon. <laughs> you're 200 yards out, and the bull comes 100 yards in between you, and you're thinking, "Man, I yeah. wish I had a tag. I would just kill him to get him out oh. of the equation." <laughs> and see, that's the problem. So that's why I will not. If if I have the ab- ability to, to get an over the counter tag, I'll always do it. Uh, and it's worked out really well for me in in Colorado, just because I don't want the regret of of seeing something that was just a, you know. All you had to do was get the tag, but you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. So, you know, I, I, uh, like in Colorado, I usually, you know, it's an over the counter elk unit, uh, that I hunt deer in most time. And even this, the other ones I'm trying to apply this year, uh, for deer are, of course, more metals matter. So I'm going to, I'll be drawing my first limited elk tag if everything goes right. But I would always get that over the counter tag in those units. And, uh, all but one year I've, I've, uh, I've punched that elk tag within just a day or two of, of, uh, getting my deer would you recommend that strategy for let's say you were just starting out knowing what you know now and you were especially (laughs) especially a guy coming from you know back upper midwest or the east or whatever um would you recommend that or would you recommend just single focus with one tag i think it just depends on the person i mean i'm like i said if you can focus on one thing and you have the discipline just to be like no came here to do this uh we're gonna do this and we're not gonna chase the other species you know whatever you determine species a and species b are uh then i then go for it but i mean yeah i i've I've got buddies that i that i specifically have well one actually is hunting the same unit that i'm hunting in colorado for elk uh, and 
he keeps toying with the idea of getting the deer tag. I'm like, dude, don't do it. Just, just, just go kill your first elk first. Cause he's been there three years now and he hasn't, he hasn't killed one. And it's, he's has, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's the ADHD or whatever you want to call I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with them all, but he's got one of them and it's, <laughs> he's going to, he's bounces all over the wall. And I, I just don't think that if, you, if you're one of those guys that can't focus in, it's probably best just to pick one. And Well, and I, I, I think too, it comes down to what your kind of what your trophy mentality is, so to speak. Yeah. You know, if you're, I mean, for, for you, I, I think, honestly, I think it's unique that you pick up multiple tags but you are still known as a guy that's um you know able to focus on bigger bucks and and knock down bigger <laughs> bucks it, it almost seems like the guys who are the <clears throat> quote-unquote opportunists that have all the tags in their pocket even if they do tag out on multiple species on a hunt they're usually not doesn't seem like they're usually you know tro- trophy boone and crockett or you know y- you know what i'm yeah. saying it's kind of just the guy oh, that's yeah. that's you know the i uh, the Aaron Snyder mentality, you know, he's, he likes, oh, yeah. he likes the experience <laughs> as much as he does the kill. And, you know, that's, that's a guy that you would yeah. expect to have two tags in his pocket, but yeah, that's interesting. Oh yeah. No, I, no, I, I think that, uh, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for what's going to make you happy. Um, yeah. you know, if, if just killing something that's, uh, you know, two or three years old, is going to make you happy. Um, I've been, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the youngest guy in the world anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just my, baby face that makes me look a little younger, but I've, I've been, you know, I killed my first deer when I was 12 and that was a long time ago. I've killed a lot of deer before that or since then. And I, I just don't need to, I don't need to go out there and kill something to kill something. I can, if I'm, if I chase something that's older and, and I get a good shot at it and I, I eat my tag, it's fine. That's, I'm okay with that. I think that, uh, this, I, I think I've, I've said this before on our podcast too. I don't, I, I've, I've shot the, an animal before that I thought was, well, maybe it's, maybe he's good enough. You know, he's, and then get up there and he's like, wow, he's a little bit smaller. Than I thought he was. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's a feeling. I, excuse my language. I, it's, I don't, you know, it, it feels disrespectful to the animal and, and then you're not happy. And then the worst, you know, then you're in a mountain, you got to haul it out five, six miles. Um, so I don't want that feeling. Um, I want to, I want to kill something that really, you know, that, I, that I'm excited to take. I don't want to, you know, I'm not, not just out there just to, to kill the kill. So, um, if they're old, that's, and, and I'm all, but I'm also not picky about antler size. I just want something that's old. You know, if it's, I mean, like my buck last year in Colorado, he's not going to score with a squad. He's basically just a big wide three point with uh, some weird forks on his G fours and some stickers. I mean, he's not, but to me, he was beautiful. I mean, I, yeah, it's just age. What do you think is um, the biggest mistake that a guy who is a, a, West, a mid- Midwest or an Eastern guy coming West makes on a backcountry hunt? Oh boy, I uh, the biggest mistake I, I can I can rattle off a handful that I made. <laughs> um, first off, Google Earth makes things look really small, and yeah, I don't. I mean, I remember planning for my first trip looking at google earth thinking i'm gonna start here and i'm gonna go across this ridge and i'm gonna cut through this canyon and, the, and that'll be the first afternoon and then the next day i'm gonna go and then you get there and you're like i could spend all week and i'm not gonna make it to the first spot you know <laughs> and i shouldn't you, know, you don't even have to have time either but it, things are so much bigger in real life it's not as easy as just double click and go into the street view and then you're just <laughs> yeah, and, right. and you're just on the ridge right i wish that's how it was in yeah. real life 
and some, you know, in some foothilly type areas, you know, eastern Montana, it's it it, it, it it when you get there, it's like, oh yeah, this this kind of what it looked like. But then there are certain mountain ranges that you just have to to get there and and be in in them to appreciate how massive they are and how you know some maybe it is only you know 1500 yards across the canyon to the other the next mountain on the other side but it's going to take you a day and a half to get there because of what you got to go down and around and through in the cliffs and yeah. and then you got to go back up the other side and so i think not realizing how big a terrain they're getting into um i think guys don't don't do enough don't do enough prep as far as to what are you going to do if you actually you know and this probably pertains more to elk and, and bigger bigger animals than it does deer because um well maybe i guess maybe most people can't pack a whole deer in their camp out but i i, I think that you know you get the guys are coming out say for colorado's opener for the, an over-the-counter unit and they got a this pipe dream of hiking in four plus miles or maybe even three plus miles and i mean i've been i've been hunting in that first week because it, it starts what the last uh last saturday in august, august every year yeah, yeah well that's I've, I've seen 80 degrees or 75 degrees pretty commonly and up even above timberline or right at timberline so um you gotta have a plan for getting that meat out and you gotta and you know and i usually have two i try to i try to at least have two packers if i'm going to a new area i mean before i'm calling biologists and before i'm calling you know uh game wardens to, to ask them questions about the unit i'm calling outfitters to say hey uh, i'm a diy guy i i want i don't i'm not looking for uh, you know, to be guided, right. but you have horses that if I get an animal down in further than I can get them out without the meat going bad, can I call you, you know, or send you a message with the inReach and have you come help me? That's, and if, and if you can't find anyone to do that and it's an early season hunt, I mean, that might be a reason that I don't choose that unit. Um, that's a, it's a, that's a big one. I mean, and obviously being in shape is another one that people mistake too. I mean, I know I thought I was in good enough shape the first time um that i went out west and <laughs> it's uh halfway up the first uh, you know ascent you realize maybe i should have been doing it four times a week instead of two or you know hiking with a weighted pack it's it's yeah and i think as far as that goes there's there's not, not only is there a just a general misconception about being in shape but there's a misconception about what type of shape to be in meaning mm. um you know plenty of us love to go to the gym and lift weights myself included um you know and and so you see hunters or you know famous hunters so to speak posting on instagram you know all their muscles and their bodybuilding physique or whatever and and you you know i i think it could be easy to to misconstrue that and and think that you know, uh, muscular, anything is going to really help me in the backcountry. And don't get me wrong. You've got to be able to shoulder, you know, maybe yeah. a, a hundred pound pack, but talk about the importance of, you know, cardio versus, versus, uh, mm. you know, bodybuilding, weightlifting type stuff. No, that's, that, that's, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I'm, I've always been kind of a cardio guy. I was a distance runner when I was younger and, uh, that's pretty much that's pretty much all I do is I do cardio, I run, and I will hike with a weighted backpack. Um, I don't really I don't really hit the the weights anymore. I haven't um, in well, over a decade. My job helps keep you know my upper body and my arms and my back pretty strong, but um, I think that uh, you you could show up with uh, you know what is it the typical guy that there's always a meme about that says 
friends don't let friends skip leg day. You know, the big guy, <laughs> this big muscle body up top, and then get the little teeny legs down below. Yeah, he's 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 not going to make it very far in the mountains. But yeah. Well, and it one, looks good. Yeah, you know, and, and and like I said, I I love to go to the gym. One one just kind of my strategy that I use um, to, you know, because if if I'm not careful, I will just it's it's almost it's for me. I can lazily go to the gym and lift weights rather than run or do hiking cardio if I don't let, you know, if I don't watch it. And so, um, you know, my, my mentality is as soon as spring hits about right now, in fact, you know, I just ran a, uh, I just ran a, you know, a 10 K trail run the other day and I hate it. Um, you know, <laughs> especially this time of year it's, it sucks because I'm, I've got winter weight on and I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm not in, but if I'm not careful, you know, I'll just keep lifting weight, so to speak all the way until, August and then, but so I'll sign up for races. Um, but I, you know, I, I try to transition from uh, less, you know, I weightlifting is okay. I think in the off season in the winter, that's good to build up your strength. But then I try to transition mm-hmm. into, you know, by forcing myself or tricking myself is what I call it by signing up for, you know, 10 Ks and 5 Ks and half marathons and stuff like that throughout the summer. So I, I think I'm actually going to do a little bit of that this year. I, uh, like I mentioned, I I used to run and competitively when I was younger, and I I never trained quite hard enough when I was younger. I wasn't quite as disciplined when I was pre-college and college years as I was after. And I think that I got to a point I stopped racing because of the anxiety that I developed in myself for racing because I knew I wasn't training hard enough to do it, but I was too competitive to stop or or hold back, and I would just kill myself. <laughs> and uh, the girlfriend just convinced me to do a little fun race uh, a couple weekends ago and I was like, okay I mean she's like she's like you don't you just run with me I'm like that's perfect you know I'm, we ran together but as they're lining up all the runners you know that the announcer says okay I want all the elite runners to come up to the front and I'm like elite runners she's like oh that just means anybody who cares about their time she's like we'll start afterwards doesn't matter I'm like all right and as they're all lining up I'm 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 gonna be you know and it's it's a St. Paddy's themed race, right? So I'm dressed, everybody's got green stuff on and I'm looking at these guys at the front and, and that, that gun went off and I was just like, Oh, I, I, I gotta go. I, I should be up there. <laughs> I, I, like the, the old competitiveness like came back in an instant and, and I ran by her side. I never left her side the entire race and, uh, and it was fun, but we got done with it. And I told her, I said, I think we need, we need to do this a little more. I want maybe, uh, maybe I'll take them a little serious. I train just... a little more. <laughs> Sign it up for the elite one next time. <laughs> well, at least, at least, just if nothing else, maybe it'll. Uh, I mean, you can never have enough reasons to to keep working out. So yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's the great thing about what we do here is if if you do it right, um, you know, it's it's just easy to get caught up in comparing yourself, whether it's uh you know training in a race or the actual hunt and what animal you pull off the mountain. It's easy to compare yourself to others i mean that's the world that we live in you know you're constantly whether you consciously or not you know social media for example is just one big comparison from one guy to the next you know and and as long as you i think as long as you stay in that mindset of you know you're just competing with yourself is really yeah you know and that's that's a hard thing to do but um talk you mentioned the the meat stuff so are you always hiring a packer um, or are there certain hunts where you pack out? And, and then that being said, what's just a general price that, you know, someone coming from out of state or, or back East could expect to, to, uh, pay for like a packer for an elk hunt or whatever. I, you know, I always, like I said, I always have someone lined up that can do it. 
but I want to say I've never ha- I've never hired anybody to ha- pack out a deer. I always would just bone them out and carried them out with camp. Um, which if you haven't trained a lot, that's that's not fun because it's going to be a hundred plus pounds. Uh, <laughs> but for elk, I think uh, my very first elk I ever shot. Uh, I got a little carried away, you know, I, I was hiked, I was camped in about three or four miles from the truck. And then I got on the herd that I'd been watching. I'd already, I'd killed my, my buck the second day of season. And I was on this, this herd and it had a couple of big bulls in it. And I kept following them and following them and following them. By the time I realized how far away I was, I was another four miles now outside of camp. And, uh, I mean, I didn't kill the herd, but I, a, a little four by four gave me a shot and that was my first elk. And I, I killed him and. I looked at the map. I'm like, oh, I'm like eight or nine miles from from the truck, and it's 70 degrees. So, I, I got you know the guy that I contacted in May or you know April of that of that year. He, uh, you know, I found a peak. He responded right away to a text. He said, "Give me your GPS coordinates," and he was there in two hours. It was amazing. Hmm. Um, I think it was 400 bucks. He paid or, or I paid him, and he, uh, you know, he he packed the meat out. I jogged out uh, to a different trailhead. Uh, and that's another thing too. Uh, know the area you're, area you're in, because I probably, in hindsight, could have carried one load of meat down to where he parked. Because I, I was actually closer to the other, you know, basically the other side of the mountain range at that point. And I, and you know, I, I, he's like, "Well, we're just gonna run, you know, hike down here about four miles to where my truck's at." I'm like, four miles." <laughs> like, so I could have literally just hiked down there, and then hitchhiked back around to my truck, and I probably would have been fine. But, gotcha. but it still would have been, I still would have had to work all night long to get that meat out. But uh, I think another time in Montana, uh, I actually ran into some some guys that, you know, they were they were locals, and they were probably six miles in, and they they straight up asked me like, "What are you gonna do if you get an outtown?" <laughs> I mean, what? he's like, "Well, I, he's like, I've got a number from a guy, you know, that that uh, is, and he's like." He's like, yeah, we know who that is. You're, you're, he's not going to answer your phone. He's, uh, he's not. Yeah, good luck with that. And they said, well, if you ever, if you get one down, you just call, call us. And, uh, and the way it worked out, the next very next day, that we were actually working the same elk, and uh, they, uh, it worked out perfect. But they were right there, and they actually let me use their horses. Um, after you killed, after kept... you killed their elk out from under them. <laughs> well, it was, it wasn't quite like that, but. <laughs> I was on top of a ridge watching these elk, and they come underneath, and uh, they bumped them. They never saw them, and they weren't a- these elk weren't answering them. And uh, but as soon as these guys are really good callers, as soon as uh, that's something I really need work on. Yeah. Uh, as soon as <laughs> they too. bumped those elk, they really the elk didn't know what happened, and they called them back. Well, as soon as they called them back, I swung way downwind of everybody, uh, just thinking, well, I'm not going to bug them or jump right down in front of them. But I but if they, but if the elk go all the way around downwind of them, I'm going to be there. So when the elk spook before they do and it worked out perfect yeah but so and then i think uh one other time i've actually had to use a packer and again it was a situation where i had ran into some other hunters in so this is the advantage of hike if you if you really hike in five six seven miles you find you're the only one back there that doesn't have a horse and the horse guys feel sorry for you and then they like <laughs> hey if you get it one down and i ran into some guys in wyoming two years ago did the same thing they uh they're like hey, can you get one down just give us a call and and uh it, yeah, maybe maybe they say that to everybody and just thinking that no one will take take it up on it. But I called them the next day. I'm like, well, you remember when you offered the horses? <laughs> well, and but, you know, you had mentioned 400 bucks. I think you know that that's a that's a steal. Um, oh yeah, you know, I think you, so too. When you really think about it, 
I mean, you got a guy that, that's you know two hours away, especially, and and he'll be there for four hundred yeah. bucks. I would uh, I'd ride that wave as long as you can. Yeah, I I think he probably lived thirty miles from the trail that he ended up picking me up on, but you know he, he was there. Like I said, look, I mean it was fast, and then. I jogged out. He took the meat out. We jumped in his truck. He drove me all the way around the mountain, which took another hour and a half to get to my truck. Drove me up. We dropped his tra- uh, horses and drove up the uh, nasty road, basically an ATV trail, right to my truck. And I mean, I mean, he was there the entire time. And yeah, I mean, it, it's a half a day of work for him and three horses. That's I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what's the alternative? Yeah, four hundred bucks when you look at you know the fact that well, I can't hunt back in that far because. I have no way of getting the meat out in time. Right. Um, what is your, what is kind of your, maybe back up here just a little bit. What's your, just kind of your general tag strategy for the West? Mm. Um, you know, especially a guy from, you know, the, the Midwest or say a guy from the East or whatever. What, uh, what are you, what's kind of your thought process as you're going through application season out West? Well, first off, I'd say to anybody that hasn't dove into it yet, you know, find one of the, the uh, what do you want to call them, hunt application services that you like. Um, or, or what I do, I I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a subscriber, subscriber to the Hunt and Fool, Go Hunt, and Eastman's, all of them. I mean, I, you know, it's a, it's an easy $300 or 250 bucks a year to, to know that you're kind of staying on top of, if nothing else, not, I'm not talking about the units to go to, but regulations and rules. And like last year, uh, Montana made it so that if you're applying for a, an archery only specific elk tag, if you don't buy the ten little $10 archery tag license before you apply for that, you were out of it. They weren't even going to, I mean, little things like that. If you, you could really, you could be spinning chasing your own tail and never even have a chance to draw a tag. So, so I, I strongly recommend any of my friends to to get one of those or a couple of those services. And then, you know, for, you know, if someone's just getting into it, I say, just, just go hunt, find a spot that's over the counter and even see if it's something you're going to want to do. I think there's lots of people that do it one time. They're like, well, that was fun. I think I'm going to go back and sit in a tree stand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but as far as like, you know, if you've done it once or twice and you think, you know, you realize I can do this and I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to make this a long-term plan. You know, I, I've, I'd rather hunt than, than collect points. Um, and there's only a couple states that I really am stacking up points in. And that's just because, uh, you know, Utah and Nevada, I'll, I'll, I'll say what they are. I mean, it, it's hard to draw an elk tag in Utah and Nevada. And the, the limited entry tags are, are pretty much the same way for deer. So, you know, as long as there's good states like Idaho, Montana, uh, Wyoming and Colorado uh, that I can, I can go hunt deer with a couple points. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll basically have a couple of States that are okay. I'm just going to shoot the moon on these. Eventually I might get lucky. I'm probably never going to catch up to the point creep, but who knows? It's, there's, yeah. there's always some random tags given out and then I'm going to have my tags that I hunt every single year. I mean, there's over the counter units in Colorado that have big, bull, my biggest bull came from an over the counter, you know, tag in Colorado it there there's big bulls in there the harder it is to get into the areas the the less uh less I don't want to say less trails but some areas have lots of trails but it's just a lot of work to get up in there yeah. you know some so I think you got to have a little bit of 
a little bit of both. Um, so you're generally speaking, you're targeting, um, a couple of, uh, a couple of over the counter or, you know, zero point States, right. Mm -hmm. That that you know, you're going to hunt every year. And then you've got one or two States or one or two species within certain States, like Wyoming elk, for example, that's probably what a one or two point general tag or whatever you're drawing. Yeah. Yep. And then yep. on the back end, you've kind of got your your long term pipe dream. Utah, Nevada, uh, Arizona, yep. Arizona would fall into that category, uh, especially for elk and deer. Um, of I'm in this for the yep. long haul. I'm just I'm going to invest two hundred bucks or whatever it costs to apply every year, yep. get my points, and then fifteen years from now, I'm going to you know I'm going to have a tag. Yep, and I'd throw New Mexico in that too. I mean, I'm applying for really good stuff down there too, just to figure if I'm going to do it. Uh, you know, it's yeah. I'm going to take time off from the easy ones that are that I know I can draw pretty pretty quick. It's got to be a pretty good bull because I already know those areas, and I already know there's 300 to three whatever 320 330 bulls in there. So or deer, you know. So and there there's there's more opportunities in Arizona for elk than people think. Uh, I drew a tag the other a couple of years ago and uh, was on some really big bulls, much bigger than. Any of those application services will tell you it was you know it's typically found in those areas. But I, it was a lot of work, and I, you know, you you're maybe, you're not going to be hunting in the in the prime uh, prime rut slots. Let's say that. But right. if you're willing to 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 go outside of that, then yeah, you know, I'm definitely. That... I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I'd I'd also apply that that opportunistic uh, tag approach to to the other ants. You know, not just deer and elk. You know, I. The moose tag I drew in Idaho last year was a perfect example. I mean, that's if you look basically at Idaho's stats of the hardest or the easiest tags to draw, it's probably one of the top five easiest tag, moose tags to draw. We're talking double digit, you know, odds. I mean, I think I had a 12, 12% chance or 15% chance of drawing that tag. So yeah. one out of 10 is fantastic for one of the, you know, big three uh, once in a lifetime type animals. And is and that then, a, is that a no bonus point deal? Am I, am I correct? Right. Yep. Yeah, no, no bonus points. Uh, it's once in a lifetime tag. Uh, Idaho only lets you apply for. First off, you gotta choose if you're gonna sh- apply for, you know, deer and elk, or you wanna apply for one of the three of moose, sheep, goat, and then. Uh, so it really cuts down a lot of the people. And but you gotta be careful too. I mean, the tag that I drew, uh, I was kind of cocky and thought, well, I can I can kill a moose no matter where. I mean, I I can find him. I'll I'll figure out where there's a bull. But the the, the harvest statistics in that unit were below 50 percent I mean, you would think for a life once in a lifetime tag on a moose the chances would be a whole lot or the, or the harvest uh, percentage would be a better than 50 percent but it wasn't and i totally understand why now i mean there's there's enough private they 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 hide on it pretty well and there's just not as many moose as maybe there is in other units and i mean i worked my ass off for i think it was about 10 days of, a, of hunting before I uh, even found a mature bull. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, a, you know, an easy to draw, a relatively easy to draw moose tag is is going to be, you know, there's going to be a caveat there. Um, yep. More, more, more than likely. But. Yeah, you be careful what you ask for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know, so of those of those uh, kind of states that we mentioned, or, or you know. We're, we're about, I would say we're, man, we're probably smack dab in the middle of application season. So, um, yep. U- Utah's already closed, unfortunately for guys. Nice. Um, New Mexico, <laughs> New Mexico's already closed. 
Um, but Nevada is going to be open until April 16th. Um, and this, mm-hmm. this should air here within the next week. Um, so Nevada will close on the 16th of April. You can still apply there. You know, Idaho is still coming up. I know they're, they split the deer, uh, yeah. what is it? Deer and antelope or something, deer, deer, elk and antelope from the once in a lifetimes. Um, but both of those are still coming up in the next month or two. Um, yep. Uh, Colorado is going to be tight. I know that uh, is up on like the 3rd of April. So mm-hmm. de- depending on when this airs, you might have just missed that. Um, let's see what else. New Mexico, we said, was closed. Arizona, uh, certain things are gone. Like I think antelope and elk uh, have closed yep. on that. But like deer and um, what else is I, – I know the, the big one that's still coming up is deer, and it's late. It's like – yeah, geez, it's like June or July even. Um, crazy. Cra- I, I, I don't understand that at all because the year I drew, uh, well, I guess it was three years ago. I think three years ago, I think that I drew uh, an elk tag and a deer tag in Arizona. I found out, or I found out, I drew that that elk or uh, deer tag, and I, I was, I'm like, okay, I, I gotta be hunting in five weeks. And by the time I got that tag, I mean, I think I got the tag the day before I. I'd start, I'd jump in the truck and head west. Yeah. And I even called him. I'm like, uh, what if, the, what if we cross in the mail? She's like, Oh, just come to, you know, DNR office and we'll get your tag. But I'm like, As, this is, I mean, yeah, when, when the season starts, you know, five weeks after they let you know, you got the tag, uh, that's maybe pushing it a little too much. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, if, I don't know if it's, they're trying to alleviate, you know, because when you think Arizona, you're talking the strip and the Kaibab or the two, uh, powerhouses and, and they get, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wonder if they're trying to alleviate scouting pressure. Um, you mm. know, guys just pounding the Hills, which, you know, the, the thing, the thing about that is 90% of that pressure honestly is from the guides and outfitters, I think. Um, oh, yeah. and so I, I don't know that that's, you know, it's not going to stop them because they know they're going to have a client, you know, coming regardless of who it is. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I think Arizona just passed some trail camera, um, stipulations. Did you see that? What are your thoughts on, uh, on that? Well, I, 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 I I didn't know if they, I hadn't seen that they passed it, but I saw it was up, uh, up for review or whatever you want to call it. But I, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I saw, I saw watering holes that had, you know, half dozen to (laughs) maybe eight cameras on them and. You feel like a movie star when you walk up to those. (laughs) You you feel bad. And then I started looking for the ground blind. I'm like, crap, there's probably some guy sitting here. And I just walked in on him. And, and, uh, you know, and a couple of times that I sat water for a few hours in the afternoon, just because it was so darn hot. And I, I think each time I had someone walk up while I was already sitting there and yeah, it's in those areas where you have to hunt water, uh, or, or water is such a, precious commodity and that you know you can't just find it in every little drainage or every every single canyon i think that it's maybe it's not a bad idea i mean you know you got that many guys constantly coming in to check cameras maybe it's you know having bad effects on the wildlife um yeah it just you know it it just funnels them you know it it, man it i don't want to say it doesn't give them a fighting chance but it just it Mm -hmm. just change it just changes the game you know it's oh yeah i mean i'm a midwest Midwest whitetail guy in my roots, and uh, I probably own 25, 30 trail cameras yeah. that, you know, when I when I draw a tag in Iowa or uh, when I, or I choose to go down and hunt my buddy's place and, you know, farm in Illinois, 
you know, I have those things hung up all summer and spring. Um, I'm not going in and check them all the time, but I'm, and they're also not all stacked up on, you know, single water holes, but Do you, I definitely understand the, the resource of using them. And, um, you know, but I, it's, I think it's just a completely different ball game down there. Yeah. Do you ever run trail cameras during a hunt? No, no. I, uh, the last tag I had for, uh, whitetails in Iowa was years and years and years ago, but, we, I kind of realized that, you know, you have to be really disciplined not to be checking them all the time. Um, I think you do a whole lot more damage. And we, what we, what we finally decided was the only stands and areas that were still any good, were any good after, you know, two weeks of hunting them in November one year when we drew was there, the only, the only ones that were any good were the ones that we didn't have any cameras near. We were going in and checking those cameras because we were, we just needed to know where our, you know, those couple of bucks that we had, just, you know, had been watching all summer that we wanted to kill where they were at becomes a two-edged sword yeah oh yeah we pushed them right out of there i mean it was so i think that yeah i we you know my buddy that i used to hunt down there with we decided if we ever go back we probably are you know we'll run the cameras all summer long when we were not down there so we're not constantly checking them once we get there pulling everything and you know my whole idea on how to hunt whitetails has changed completely with uh hunting eastern montana and kansas western kansas um because I, I hunt them in spots now where there's no trees, so yeah, you, it's you, yeah, completely changed. I think I've learned a lot of things that'll probably help me if I ever go back to hunting in the Midwest. Are you but, spot spotting and stalking on those plains like you do in the in the western units? Yep, yep. I'm uh, yep finding any advantage you know any advantage point I can get, uh, and just using the optics, putting the feet to work. And a, a huge advantage in, in Kansas is, uh, you know, they're they're much more prone to to responding to calls, to rattling, and to decoys because they're just the well, the buck rate, the buck to doe ratio is a whole lot better because there's just less hunters. Um, so you might not have the population as there is you may in Illinois or Iowa, but they just don't get the pressure. And there's there's more does or more bucks per does, so they're always ready to fight. I mean, <laughs> by the end of November. It, it's it's a it's a rare mature buck in in kansas that, that doesn't have snap tines and they're all fighting but no i think it's yeah i uh i think i think most most guys that hunt tree stands do more harm going into their tree stands and coming out at night than they than they realize well and i i assume out west for like a mule there for example your primary tactic is spawning and stalking is that right yes yeah yeah, you, that's the only way I've really. What uh, What do you think's maybe the one or two keys to a successful stock on a mule deer? Finding well, or the stock? No way. The stock itself. Uh, boy, to, for, I know for me personally, it's the the thing that usually decides whether or not I'm going to end up killing it. If you know, once I've decided it is something I want to kill, is where it beds. Um, that 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 has so much more to do with whether I'm going to be successful or not than what I'm actually doing. Um, I mean, taking for granted that I'm going to be quiet when I go in there. And, um, but they just bet sometimes in spots where you can't get within more than, you know, 150 yards of them and they can see, and they'll, <laughs> one thing, one thing animals do uh, in the Midwest, that I don't see as much of in the mountains and is, you know, a buck in Kansas or Eastern Montana or in the Midwest will bed most of the time watching downwind well 
in the mountains, the wind goes in all different directions depending on you know what time of day it is with thermals, and then the wind swirling inside a canyon compared to the top. Yeah. So they'll they'll bed facing opposite ways. You know, a bachelor group of buck, you could have four bucks laying in one little knob, and they're all looking in a different direction. Yeah, they're and they're, that, they're def- definitely covering 360 degrees. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So you aren't. I mean, I've the probably the third biggest buck that I found in Colorado this year. Him and his buddy would bed on top of a knoll no shade at all nothing not even a boulder to hide them and it was maybe it was like 30 yards you know in diameter up on top and good luck i mean there's i mean you <laughs> even a good long range guy would have had a hard time because there wasn't another peak within a within a half mile um but i think that you know if <sighs> you, you gotta bet them where you can you know you can get there without them seeing you or smelling you um are you more are are you more look for you know any general mature buck that's in the right situation to stock or are you more likely to get into an area find the buck or the biggest buck mm. or the buck that you want to kill and only stick to him no i no i'm i'm probably more of the first i you know if i'll 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 try to take a good representative of what's there as far as mature bucks go. I mean, if, but, um, if, if I do find something really big, I have passed up on a lot of other ones. Uh, once I do find that one, you know, if there's yeah. something that is just like, Holy smokes, I'm, you know, that's a buck of a lifetime. Uh, and then you find yourself passing 185 inch deer, you know, because that one, you know, two tens up on them. So, and a lot of times that most time that'll burn you probably, but, um, you know, for me, it's, it's not, a, it's not, it's most of the time I'm going to be happy with, unless I've seen something just ungodly, uh, just a mature buck. That's a goofy you know, I love goofy character on antlers, you know, you know, big thick bases or, uh, lots of sticker points. Um, just a distinguishing, you know, unique characters, character, uh, on a rack. Now you, you mentioned that you try to get, you know, you'll, you'll leave, maybe weeks in advance for a hunt before it starts. Is that right? Mm. I mean, uh, to to basically do your scouting, um, talk about the importance of, of preseason scouting and kind of what your, you know, what you're looking for and what your mentality is and, and why it's so important to you. The, the most important thing actually probably to me is scouting. Uh, you know, I, I think I told someone else, uh, this past, uh, this past year that, I'd spent more in the past, I'd spent more time scouting for deer in Colorado than I had actually hunting. And this year was the exact same thing. Um, I, I, uh, blew, blew my first chance. Uh, my target buck, the uh, opening day, uh, from that same vantage point, I could see, I saw another mountainside that really the book, probably the only spot you could see it from went over there and killed him on the second day. Uh, but I had six or seven days in there just walking around glass and scouting. So I think that, you know, if you can afford to, if you, if you only get, if you're only gonna do one hunt a year, um, and you only get 10 days, you know, I'd, I'd get there at least three or four days, I mean, no less than two or three days beforehand. So you can, you know, cause it, being able to watch them and find them while they're still in their, you know, unpressured, uh, behavior, I guess you'd say 
is is pretty key to being successful the first day or two of the season. If you go in there and then all you know of those deer is what them bouncing around between people, I think I think your odds go way down. But well, and if you know what. They, I mean, yeah. what 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 ends up happening more often than not anyway is let's say that you show up, you know, you hike in the night before the opener. You wake up the first morning and you glass, you know, you might glass a basin that's been untouched or whatever, and you find that buck. The chances, at least what I've seen, the chances of that just magically being the day one that you're going to go stalk and kill that buck, very rarely. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so you, what you find is you you spend two to three days waiting, watching, learning, you know, uh, and and over those course of those two days, you know, he doesn't bed in a good spot or or, yeah. or, or may, maybe you try a stock and it doesn't work out, but really what's happening is you're learning. And then about two or three days of watching him, then you realize, oh, okay. When he comes into the, when he's feeding in this base and he actually, he actually leaves and goes and beds up in this spot. And so, you know, then it happens on day four because you sat and watched for two or three days and you know that, oh, when he feeds here in the morning, he's going to go bed up in this bunch of trees. And so I'm going to meet him there before the sun yep. comes up tomorrow or whatever the, you know, that's just one example, but you know, it, yep. it's like, yeah, you're, you're limiting your hunting days, so to speak, but you're really, you're really not because man, your, your chance of success goes up on day one at that point anyway, when the hunt opens and the chances of it working out on those first couple of days before that, I yep. just, I don't see it happening very often. No, no. If you just walking in, you know, the night before a season and, and know what the heck they're going to do. Uh, and I think maybe it, it probably has a lot to do with how pressured the unit is too. I mean, if, if you don't think there's going to be anybody else in there, well then maybe walk going in the day before the season's going to be fine. Cause you yeah. can spend the first three days of the season, watch them and doing exactly what you would have prior to the season. But I, I haven't really been able to hunt too many places like that yet. So yeah. that, that's what I'm saving all those points for Utah and Nevada for, <laughs> yeah. for, for, for when I go in there and there's nobody else. Yep. You know, and, 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 you know, I, I think of where we hunt in Nevada, um, you know, t to be honest, th this year I could show up the day the hunt opens. You know, we, we've even talked about going in the week after the hunt opens, just because I think a lot of guys hunt that first week and then go home. But the, the reason that that's different is because we've spent years, five, six years, uh, in there doing our scouting, so to speak. You know, this, this concept I think really applies to a guy that's hunting a unit for the first time. Um, or, you know, a, a new area in a new unit or something like that where um, you haven't had a lot of boots on the ground. Um, man, that, those scouting scouting trips, even if you don't see anything, those scouting trips, um, just learning the country, like you said, kind of adapting from Google Earth, I think is just priceless uh, to be successful yep. on those hunts. But all, And also, too, even if you're, I mean, I, most of my Colorado deer hunting has been in and just a couple of units and in those, some of those, those units, the, the deer, the deer don't always, they're not always hanging out in the same area. Um, sometimes it's because of the, uh, the sheep herders, you know, they'll, they'll, I mean, you could get in there, hike three or four miles in and all of a sudden, you know, these Peruvian sheep herders have moved in their flock of 500 sheep <laughs> right into the center of your basin. And, and they weren't there the two days before. And well, get, there's, there's no deer going to be in there. And it's not necessarily because the sheep, but they're the sheep herders dogs uh, aren't friendly to anybody. So <laughs> if something like that happens, I mean, uh, and yeah, I just, boy, I, it seems like that the deer in the, in the Alpine basins, 
man, they, I, I've seen some spots they use over and over. Uh, but I think they almost, it's kind of like a rotation. Um, uh, there's been lots of years where, I mean, I've killed, I never killed, really killed, uh, one deer in the same basin. I don't, I don't think I ever have. Yeah. No. And I've seen the same thing in Nevada. You know, we had one Canyon, um, you know, that was just, man, the first couple of years was just popping. I mean, we, we were just hunting that and that only. And then all of a sudden year three, we went back in there. They're just, they're, they weren't in there. They, they were there, yeah. they were on the mountain and we just had to look for them in a different spot, you know, not, not far within a mile or whatever, but they just, they weren't in that same exact spot, you know, things cycle like that. But, um, mm-hmm. I want to talk just real briefly with you, um, maybe some, some key pieces of gear, um, because you're spending so oh, much, sure. so much time in the back country. Um, the first one I was going to ask you about is talk about your glassing setup. I know that optics in the mm-hmm. back country are, if not the most important thing, the most important piece of gear, um, you know, aside from just generally like your weapon system and, and stuff like that, but talk about yeah. your glassing system and what your mentality is there. Well, I, I guess the first piece of advice I'd give anybody is, and you, everybody's heard it before. It's almost a cliche now is by the, by the most, the best you can afford um the with that being said there's lots of good stuff and there's probably a lot more options in that mid-level uh than there used to be uh I, you know a few years ago I don't, I don't think that you know that mid-tier was quite as good but i you know you look now in vortex and leupold and maven are really knocking out some good stuff in that that mid-tier um you know if you get a chance if you can afford to use Sarovsky or Leica or Zeiss, you know, something that's, you know, man, I, you'll find more animals and you'll kill more animals. If you can, I mean, it just makes sense. If you can find them, you find more, you're going to kill more. Uh, um, and, and for me along those lines, the, the, the big difference for me too, between like a mid tier and the, that European glass you're talking about is comfortability. I mean, it, it sounds silly, but when you're glassing for hours and hours mm-hmm. and hours on end and you're just yeah, you're just days. glued and days and weeks almost yeah. like and you're glued through that glass with your eyes um oh yeah I've, I've just i've gotten headaches uh you know too often mm-hmm. to know that 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 clear glass is easier on your eyes and your and your head and stuff like that um so yeah i i uh i remember i I forget how many years ago it was, but I actually bought an eye patch, like a pirate arg type mm-hmm. eye patch. And just because, you know, I, I knew that I was going to have my work cut out for me glass and this unit to even turn what I, something I wanted to shoot, you know, turn up. And, uh, and I remember my, my girlfriend looking at this eye patch. She's like, uh, why are you taking that in the woods with you or out in the mountains with you? And, uh, it's, but yeah, if, if you can't, if you can't sit there behind your glass, uh, all day long, and I'm a big, big fan of uh, binoculars mounted on tripods. Um, that's that's been huge for me. Uh, but man, it, peop, you know, I, I tell I talk to people about like, well, how do you hunt the mountains? And you know, people that never have hunted the mountains or really haven't done much research into it. And I said, well, yeah, a lot of times you find a vantage point and you just glass. Yeah, they, until you find something. The and eye, like, the, oh, yeah. yeah. Like you sit up there for a half hour, an hour. I'm yeah. like, no, sometimes you sit up there for three days straight. Yeah, <laughs> and that's all you do. That that's the irony of backcountry hunting is we actually try to do as least amount of hiking as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I uh, I'm a I'm also you know I, I don't see a lot of bow hunters doing doing this, but I'm a big fan of 
range finding binoculars. Um, just the the simplicity of having, you know, one piece one piece of glass on my chest and my vinyl pack compared to two. Not only just for the weight, but just for, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've been, you know, maybe moving. Well, I, I've I've actually killed a deer before where I was actually just moving from one spot to another. I had not I I knew he was in the area, but I didn't know exactly where he was. And all of a sudden, I'm glassing deer that are 40, 50 yards in front of me that just stood up. And I glass over and there he is. It's like, holy crap. And they're looking right at you. They, I mean, they've got you pinned. And it was just as simple as pushing a button. Yep. You know, arrows already knocked and, you know, 10 seconds later it's on the way. Whereas if you got to switch back and forth, I think it just, you know, and you got to be careful with when you get into the steeper situations with which binoc, you know, range finding binoculars actually have. Uh, Angle range uh, composition. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Because uh, they don't all, they don't all have that, but I, are you, are you using the uh, the Swirl, the EL range? No, no. I uh, I've been contemplating making a switch to that. Uh, I'm, I've been using the Leica HDBs since they came out. Oh, probably what four years ago, five years ago mm-hmm. when they first brought those out. Um, what what's your actually, uh, the... what's your rating on those? Say one one out of ten. How do you like them? Oh, I I'd, I'd give the glass a nine or a ten. I mean, they're they're beautiful look through. I mean, I, I literally mount those on a, on the tripod with a, an adapter from the outdoorsman's and they're fantastic. Uh, they're the problem with the, and the reason I didn't get the, the EL ranges when I bought these is Swarovski has the button on the left side. Mm-hmm. I'm a right handed guy. So my bow is in my left hand. Yep. And when I reach for my binocular and my chest harness, I need two things. I need, I need a, a chest pack that I can get the binoc- binoculars out of there quietly and smoothly with one hand and i also need to be able to not have to you know i'm using one hand i need to be able to hit that trigger get into my face or, and then hit the trigger and, and specifically and your specifically your right hand yep. Spe- yeah so if that if that button is on the right side well so, so you, you you mentioned uh putting binos on on uh, tripods what power of binos are you typically throwing on the tripod just those 10 by 42 so just, those just like your 10 um yeah. You ever you ever pack in? So you're packing in a pair of tens on your chest that also has your rangefinder. Yep. Yep. Are you ever packing like a pair of fifteens that also go on a tripod, or do you just jump straight to no. a spotting scope? No, I've I've uh, I've never actually owned a pair of fifteens. I had a, a pair of uh, Zeiss Victories. Uh, there, I think they were twelve by the fifty sixes or something like that a couple years ago. But um, no, I just couldn't. And, and I'm sure there's there's certain types of hunts uh, that that would justify it you know i hear the guys saying i've never hunted coos deer i've hunted down i've hunted elk in coos deer territory but i've mm-hmm. never uh hunted coos before and i and i can imagine those little buggers those yeah. little buggers would probably be worth the while to uh to have them mounted on there but from where i hunt i mean you know it's, it's a spine scope in my in my binoculars on my chest and then the biggest choice for me becomes do i take a 65 millimeter spotter or uh or larger and this year i've discovered the you know the new this this past season I used the the big eye you know, like the 95 millimeter uh, STX from Swarovski and I found myself hiking that thing in. Oh, I just hold on, Tony. I just uh, just lost your audio there. Nope. You there? There you are. Okay. Sorry. Um. Yeah, and I I'm sure you got to get back to work and we can wrap this up, but. Um, it's okay. So, so say that again, just kind of back up there for just one sec. Uh, 
being able to, you know, justify packing in a 95 millimeter oh, yeah, spotting gotcha. scope is, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's several times, uh, last fall that I, I hiked that thing in, you know, six, seven miles, uh, when a 65 millimeter probably would have been, would have been, would have been a whole lot easier on the shoulders, uh, in the backpack, but just the ability to, to find, you know, find game at long distances. It's, uh, it's are, hard to, are you, are you, you're typically on your own hunting solo. Is that right? Yep. Um, I've actually, uh, you know, my, my Midwestern hunting used to be, you know, with, with friends, but you know, it's a lot easier to plan a, a trip like that with a guy that, you know, can get some time off. I don't really have any friends that can leave in August and then not come back till October. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> a, that's a, yeah, two-ed, that's a two edged sword as well. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, hunting solo is fun until you kill something, and then then it's then it's not fun anymore. <sighs> yeah, and so you know to wrap up on the optics, you know we'll we will we'll pack all three. Obviously, we all have our binos on our chest, and then we'll have a pair of fifteens, and we'll have at least one spotter. But that's with at least two, maybe three guys going in, and so you can divvy that up. Okay. Um, you know where it makes sense to actually pack all three or four of those. Uh, different different items in but yeah i think if i was going solo it would be a pair of probably tens on my chest that i can also mount on a on a tripod like you're saying and then yeah take take your pick if you want to throw the extra weight of a 80 or 85 millimeter spotter compared to a 65 yeah no i that'd be nice i'd I'd love to do that sometime i mean it's not like i've went out of my way to hunt solo. i just uh you know i get maybe this happens with some people but the older i've gotten the less i just you know yeah I don't like relying on another, you know, I don't want to have to rely on anybody else. I figure if I can just be uh, self-sufficient and just, you know, it, I, I think I've become a little more effective in the mountain. I, I don't yeah. think that, uh, you know, when I don't, when I know I've only got to answer myself and, you know, it's a matter of, okay, I, I just found something that I really can't tell what it is because it's three and a half miles away. Yeah, screw it. We're going to go. Yep. Um, yep. too, too, there. Yeah, too, too many times, um, you know, that's bitten us, uh, because like you're saying, you sit there and you have the, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Well, where, where would you go? <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't go here. Well, I'm going to go hunt this Canyon. Well, I was going to go hunt this Canyon, but I don't want to walk through your Canyon. And you know, it's just, it, it's, it's a, it's a chess, you know, it, it's a game you got to play and you got to be, you got to be careful and you got to be good about it because unknowingly, I think hunting with multiple guys, um, if, especially if you're not all pretty seasoned and on the same page, it will, it'll bite you. Um, it'll, oh, yeah. it'll, it'll unknowingly keep you from being successful, but, uh, and, and even worse, you might lose a friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well that, yeah, I, that just backcountry hunting in general, I'm telling you, you want to, you want to do the crash course of becoming a friend with someone or not, uh, mm-hmm. take them on yep. a, take them on a seven day backcountry hunt. You'll either either become <laughs> best of friends or uh, worst enemies talk about yep. your sleep system briefly what are you uh, what are you running generally on your sleep system well uh i'll start with my shelter i mean i i'm a i'm a huge fan of being as light as possible as long as it's not going to be dangerous with if if something storm you know something hits so i'm being alone i'm usually carrying a, a one-man shelter um i something very light uh i like the I, I like a floored shelter. My my friend Aaron Snyder would probably uh, prefer I, you know, say otherwise. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe I'm being a wimp. But I just don't like uh, the mice coming in. And I mean, I've had mice chew a hole in the top of my hood, of my rain jacket. I've had them chew uh, holes in my bags. I've had them chew holes in everything. And 
I just, I'll keep them out as much as I can and keep a floor on my shelter. But I, uh, you know, something crazy light there um, until the weather hits, and then I usually switch to a, a Hilberg that's a little bit stouter. Uh, crazy the, light being like just a, what What are you, what are you running? <laughs> so they, uh, the last three years, I think I've ran one of uh, uh, Henry Shire's Tarp Tent Pro Trails, and I think it, you know, uses, it utilizes your hiking poles, which I have with me anyways, because I'm hiking out my own meat. I, I absolutely need them. Uh, and I think that was coming in with a couple, with trimming a little bit off. I think I had it about 25 ounces. Jeez. Uh, the one he just came out with, he's been kind of reluctant. He, Henry Shires, to, I think, to jump into the Cuban fiber and uh, Dinami, or how you pronounce it, uh, fabrics. Yeah. But he just released one, and uh, he's redoing a, it's the notch tent that he's, I think he's done the notch before in the past. I think I actually had one a few years ago. Um, and it's bigger than the pro, pro trail, but he made it out of the, I think it's the Dinami. Uh, yeah, Dy- Dyneema. Dyneema, there you go. Uh, and I just got it from the other day. I haven't even taken it out of the package yet because I still have two foot of snow in my, in my yard. <laughs> but uh, I put it on the scale with, I mean, I leaving the instructions even inside the pack and the, the heavyweight, the heavier weight stakes that he includes, that uh, which I usually replace with titanium. And I haven't done anything to this to lighten it up, and it was already 19 ounces, and it's it's bigger than my pro trail was. So, um, yeah, so that's going to take off a little bit of weight. It'll it'll make more room for that 95 millimeter spotter. But er, early that, early season, generally, I mean, you're just oh, you're yeah. as light as light as you can basically get. Um, on everything I, it, I really do that on everything is yeah. that a is that a one-man setup technically oh um, yeah yeah and does it have a vest oh, yeah, you, you run a vestibule or no uh the pro trail had one at the front it was kind of a crawling uh type tent the the notch that i'm going to try this year has two side i think it's two side entrances. maybe it's just one side entrance but but it does have a small vestibule on the side um but like I said, I'm a big fan of bringing all my gear inside the tent, even if I had to sleep on top of it, just because the mice love eating my stuff. I don't know what it is, but they eat everything of mine. Um, but yeah, that uh, once once that starts getting where there's a chance of any snow or significant snow, uh, you know, anything over five six inches and it not melting away, I'll switch to that Hilberg though. Uh, and, anyway, and, and and your your theory there is just a something heavy duty three season plus. Uh, tent that you know is is known for durability and can handle oh yeah six 12 yep. inches of snow or whatever yeah yeah i've gotten caught in one of those little henry shires tarp tents uh <laughs> when I, you know, I hiked in and it was raining and then the very next day you know there's 20 inches of snow on top of the tent when you wake up it's think things get a little wet inside there quick yep. and uh for sleeping pad for sleeping pad i'm a i'm one of those guys that can fall asleep standing up so i really don't <laughs> Uh, I mean, I don't need a big, thick pad. I think I got the the yellow crackly one that uh, the Thermarest. That's a lot of people don't like sleeping on it because it sounds like potato chips if you roll back and forth. You know um, the so the new one. Um, I my brother has the old model, and they just they uh-huh. actually just switched that. Maybe I I don't know, but I bought the newer model last year um, to replace mine at REI. And they, it's some, they changed something. And because the, the lady, even when I was checking out, she's like, Oh, are you sure you want this model? These are so noisy. And I said, yeah, I know they're noisy. <laughs> you know, my brother has one and, and they are, they they were noisy. Um, every oh, yeah. time, every time you roll over it, you know, like you said, it sounds like a chip bag. Um, but we got that new one out, blew it up the first time. It was already, nice. already quieter, uh, than his, 
was after being broken in for a couple of years. And so they've, they've changed something on that. Um, so it's not as noisy, but that, it's been that, a pretty durable pad for me. I've, I've had that thing for three years now. And I mean, knock on wood, I've, I've, I've blown a lot of, I don't use usually a, a footprint. I don't even usually put tie back underneath my tent. So <laughs> I've, I've popped a few, um, few of those, but yeah. not that brand, not the Thermarest. And, uh, another thing I do too, is I get the, the, the extra small one, uh, you know, it's, it's only like four foot long and 20 inches wide. So I figure if I, if my, uh, if I need something underneath my feet, I'll put my, my, uh, backpack down there and gotcha. put that, my feet on top of that. So, and then what, uh, what degree sleeping bag are you running and are you running two different setups for like early and late? Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, I like, I, I'll, I'll usually, it, I guess it depends on where I'm hunting, but I mean, like my Colorado stuff or, or Wyoming that, you know, even at the end of August, you're up so high that, I mean, you could run into 20 degrees, no problem. So I usually pack a 15 degree bag, a down bag. Uh, I'm actually looking at getting a different down bag this year. Um, I'm not sure what I want to try out yet. I, I look at the Western mountaineering, uh, but I've been running a, a marmot uh, plasma, which is very, it's a delicate bag. I, I'd say I've, I, I've got a couple of spots on it that uh Luco tape is holding in the down. Uh, just, I mean, it, it's things like paper thin, but it also weighs, you know, I think a pound and 14 ounces for a 15 ounce bag or a 15 degree bag. So it's very, very warm, not much room and don't get the zipper, you know, the material caught in the zipper. Cause all of a sudden it looks like it killed a goose inside the tent, but, uh, it's done. It's done there for me, and I probably shouldn't badmouth it. Uh, but it is rather delicate, and it doesn't. If you're if you need space to, to roll around at night, it's not a good one. But okay, yeah. I'm I'm not a fan of. I've tried the quilts, and if it if it's gonna be breezy at all or colder than 35 degrees, um, yeah, man, I I I have never been able to get them cinched down around to me around me where I, enough that I don't get a draft and. I guess that's one thing that keeps me up that, that and grizzly bears, mm-hmm. but the, uh, yeah, the, the, I'm not, I haven't, haven't had good luck with the quilts. Okay. So you're a sleeping bag guy. And then do, do you ever hunt late enough that you're ever switching to like a zero degree or, a, you know, something crazy or, or do you ever, do, in that case, do you supplement with like the, uh, the liners or do you ever sleep with like your, your, uh, puffy jacket or yep. whatever on? Okay. That's exactly right. Yep. I'll, Love the puffy pants and, uh, and tops and, uh, yeah, I'll just use those. And I mean, I've, I've had to crawl in my bag with every single thing I've had brought up there with me. And, and then when I was done doing that, I stuck the bottom of my, you know, my feet inside the sleeping bag inside my Kafaro. So I had another extra layer yeah. because I was just so cold, but it's, uh, it's not like being home in your, uh, in your bed, but Hey, it's <laughs> like, you know, it'll keep you alive. And you know, you, it's kind of silly. We pack all that stuff to keep us warm up there. And then we also mm-hmm. pack, you know, different, more weight to keep us warm at night. And we could probably, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Like we might as well use that oh, stuff yeah. we're packing in. It's only for a week or whatever. So, yeah. Yep. All right. And then generally just talk about, um, what you look for in a pack, kind of what are, what are some mm. general things that you're looking for in a pack? Boy, I've, I've made mistakes here in the past. Uh, I could go through a lineup <laughs> of packs that I didn't like before I found the Kafaros. The, the most important thing that this is, I mean, everything else is a distance second place. Uh, I mean, so, some guys like lots of pouches, little pouches. Some guys don't, they just want a big tube, but then they'll use little, you know, all that stuff's really irrelevant. That's just 
personal preference, you got to be able to get a heavy load of meat off the mountain and come, without absolutely killing yourself. And they don't all carry the load that weight the same way. Um, when I discovered the the Kafaros, it was a, it was just eye opening. I could not believe I had been suffering with the other packs that I had. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's got to be able to transfer the weight back and forth off your shoulders to your hips, whatever way, just to, to relieve pressure on either one. And I mean, 100 plus pounds is going to suck no matter what, but they're not all equal once you get above that 80 pound range. And I, uh, I didn't and even I, that, I didn't even that, pay you to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, no errand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's, no, I, I've, I've, I've had a bunch of them, and I, and some look great, and they, some of them have all kinds of neat little pockets and stuff, and, and even, you know, even amongst, whatever, Kafaro that you can get one with lots of pockets or one that doesn't have a lot of pockets. I'm usually going for a lightweight bag, and I like to use those little lightweight pullouts to organize my stuff. I don't, you know, I don't need a bunch of little sewn-on pockets. So that's, yeah. and I, but I, I do like, uh, and I'm testing one out right now for Rockslide. Uh, there'll be a review sometime this this summer probably of the the cavern and it's pretty much just a big tube like my reckoning was last year but it's got a uh, zippered in uh spotting scope pocket on the side instead of just a uh an open topped side pocket wing like was on the uh 22 mags oh, that we run yeah, yeah yeah exactly um and i like that plenty but i mean carrying around a spotter that's worth more than your first four cars you owned that you, you kind of want to seal that thing up when you're going through dirty areas and uh i mean where i hunted last year in utah was pretty darn dusty and uh there wasn't a whole lot of i mean there was several times when i like noticed all oh, crap the the eye cover piece isn't on and you're like oh you're yeah. like oh gosh please don't be a scratch on there and you know it, so having that completely enclosed in there has been pretty nice so far and the Man, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I'm, I'll give a different perspective though. And I, I'm just, I'm the other way. I'm like, uh, you know, when we, we run those optics sometimes so like quick on the fly, um, you know, where you're hiking, you get to a vantage point and you don't, almost don't want to take your pack off. You want your buddy, you know, and again, we're hunting multiple oh, guys, yeah. but I just want to whip that thing out. Um, uh, like the, the Swarovskis that we use, for example, um, if you, send in your optics in the off season like now would be a good time um they will they'll basically clean those things for like minimal you know i don't even remember what it costs because i haven't done it for a while but they will refurbish and clean those things and they come back like brand new you can't even hardly tell it's been really used. yeah yep so if you got that you know um anyway my point is like we we'll just i guess we just beat the piss out of this the uh the optics and stuff but <laughs> You know, they, they seem to hold up and then, but yeah, I, I like that open, uh, pouch. Uh, maybe that's just because mm -hmm. what I use and, you know, you get comfortable with it, but, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll have to see if we can get one of those. You know what though? I like Aaron could send me 10 bags right now. And I think I'd still just use this 22 mag. I am absolutely in love. <laughs> I'm in love with that thing. Um, it, it just, gosh, it's like a perfect little, um, you know, for up to five days, um, man i just i love that pack but it's so you must you must like the uh i'm assuming that if you like the 22 mag that you must carry your meat out in between the bag and the frame you're not a mag yep. in the bag so guy. we we were kind of uh jimmy rigging that so to speak because it's not built necessarily for that but 
Um, I think but yeah, some... you're not gonna put five days worth of gear in a full deer. Oh in no, the side of the bag, though. <laughs> no, it's it, in fact it, it was a it's always a stretch to get five days um, of just your gear inside the you know the yeah. bag itself, and you you definitely have your tent and your sleeping bag on the outside. Um, but yeah, so then what what we do like if you look back through our feed um, and you see the Wyoming uh, pictures where my brother and I knocked down two mm-hmm. bucks at the same time like eight miles deep and we were only making one trip, man. Um, and so we, we both boned out bucks separated, you know, you pull basically two, two undo two straps and you separate those straps from the frame. And then you kind of just use the bottom straps as the bottom of the, Mm -hmm. of a quote unquote meat shelf. And, um, you know, it, it works pretty slick, um, especially for just, uh, getting out in a pinch, um, you know, just no different than a meat shell, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's no way in a 22 mag that you would, um, and, mm-hmm. and, and frankly, I don't, I don't want, you know, I don't, I don't want the meat in my pouch anyway. We used to do that years ago and man, everything gets bloody and the, you know, the, the bag itself gets bloody more than it would. And it just, I, I love that system of separating the bag uh, from the frame and throwing the meat down in there. So. Yeah, I'm 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 the opposite. I like I like to put keep the meat in the bag. Uh, I usually have a contractor, a really heavy duty contractor bag with me. Uh, I guess for multiple purposes, you know. But it seems like more often than not, the its main purpose is uh, putting all the meat bags inside of it uh, and using almost like a bag liner to separate uh, all my gear from it. So I think gotcha. I literally can go uh, go right up the next day after another species, uh, after another tag, and have a clean bag what what bag are you uh so what what bag are you running there and then what do you do if you are are you ever packing like a whole meal there and camp um what bag are you oh yeah uh in the past i bet in the past four years pretty much all my stuff's been either the um the high camp the markor mountain warrior or the reckoning i think everything last year was reckoning uh that's been my favorite so far are those pushing how many cubic inches are those pushing I want to say the reckoning is at 5,900. Okay. Uh, it might be a little bit more if you run the, if you, because it's got one of the roll top or a fold over roll top uh, mm-hmm. tops where you don't, you don't have to use a lid if you don't want to. And I didn't last year. And several times, uh, you know, I packed out two deer with it, two uh, big old mature bucks that uh, I had. Well, one, I didn't have camp. I was day hunting. The other one, I had a full day of camp and it was the first day. So, I mean, I, and I didn't want to dump my food. I'm too frugal, I guess, but I, yeah. uh, I packed everything off the mountain in him and it used all of it, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, I like putting the meat inside. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then just briefly, like real quick, um, what, uh, what do you look for in a boot? Um, and again, this is one of those, my heck, it's like broadheads. We could, there's a mil- <laughs> million options and everybody loves a different yeah. thing, but just kind of generally, like, are you looking for a stiffer mountaineering boot? Are you looking for, are you a, like a, you know, or like a running shoe type guy. Uh, what What are you looking no, for? No, well, I guess I'm one of those. I'm one of the guys that never gets blisters. Uh, I mean, but I work in boots every single day. On you know, on the job, on a job site, and so I mean, it's 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 a it's I I have stiffer boots on more often than not throughout the entire year. So uh, I've I've been going with lighter weight the last few years. Lighter weights, uh, mountaineering type boots. Um, I've had really good luck with, uh, La Sportiva. The, this last year I used a set of Krispies for the first time and they, they treated me great. They're mm-hmm. super light. Um, they're not quite as stiff as what I'm used to. Um, Is that like the, uh, the Thor maybe? 
Yep, yep. I used the Thor and uh, super, super light. Uh, I'm actually wearing them right now. Uh, I they're they've been a great boot. They uh, I, I I can't wear them out. Um, I, I know a lot of guys get lots of years out of a boot, and I guess maybe if you're only hunting a week or two, you can do that. But I I typically wear out at least one pair of boots every hunting season, uh, you know, between August and December. Uh, but I'm also hunting almost every day, so it the I'd say, you know, it, it all comes down to fit. I've got a super, super high arch and a wide forefoot. So it, it kind of narrows. No, there's a bunch of boots. I just can't even, I can't even get my feet in them. Um, but I think I, I look for lightweight and uh, a, a good amount of, at least a medium flex, you know, or, me, or mediumly stiff. Like these stores are probably as, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to hunt anything steep and anything less stiff than these. Right. So. You know, it's it's tough backcountry guys, especially the deeper you go, because you know you once you get in there, you're hunting up, down, up, down, up, down. It seems like, and you want to, you know, mm-hmm. in that case, you want a sheep boot, you know. But yeah. the yep. hike, the hike in, you know, the five to ten mile hike in, it's usually on a trail or it's usually relatively flat. And in that case, I almost want like a running shoe, you know. Yep. In, a, in a perfect yep. world, I would have both, um, and once I get in, I would change to my mountaineering boots, but that's just not reasonable. Um, and so, you know, we we look for that middle ground of, you know, I want the best of both worlds kind of a thing. I'm, I'm I think yep. we're the same same page there. Uh, there's, you know, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. If I knew I wasn't going to kill anything, I could get away with a lot less. Uh, of a stiff of a boot, but I don't know how many times trying to pack out an entire deer in camp on my back. Uh, I mean, that, that was, uh, I think three years ago in Wyoming, it was just a, just a rainstorm. And I killed a buck in about four or five miles, which wasn't that big of a deal. And most of it was actually downhill to, to my truck, but uh, it was just hundred percent clay. And I got out of there basically by just digging the sides of my heels or sides of my boot in either, you know, uphill side of one and the downhill side of the other it, like just to get uh or i should say that you know what i'm saying i just I, you couldn't just walk straight down you had to almost walk sideways out the entire way just to try to get a little bit of traction you know and and that much side hilling in a in a boot that isn't really stiff man my calves were locked up for for a week after that with a stiff boot without them i i would have had to take a break okay. um and maybe spend a day up there but Perfect. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll go through the fire round real quick. And then I got my one question I'll ask you and we'll get you out of here. So, um, elk, mule deer, or antelope? (laughs) I've never hunted antelope. So that one's out of the the picture. (laughs) And it's, it's funny. This, this whole season this year is going to be revolving around elk. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm cashing some points in Colorado for an archery tag and I've already got a pretty decent Wyoming firearm tag and, um, and I'll probably end up with a Montana, at least a general tag. So this could be the year of the elk and, but I got to stay deer. <laughs> it's easily deer. But you're still um, hoping to accidentally come on a 200 incher. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no, I, I'll be there. Yeah. No, I, I'll always have a tag in Kansas and I'll always find a tag in Colorado one way or another, whether it's, you know, drawing a second choice tag instead of a first choice, or I've never had to get a land or tag, but I've, I'm always looking and uh, just in case you know, you, you, you got to have a couple of deer tags in your pocket and you know, Montana is actually kind of a sleeper state for, for, you know, for deer. Well, I shouldn't say sleeper anymore. It's last year, Montana had a great year for deer and 
there's some really good whitetail hunting to be had uh, in Montana as well. Um, that it isn't all on private property. So yeah, but definitely deer. I mean, it just suits, you know, being a solo guy, elk hurt when you kill one and, and deer don't hurt nearly as much. Yeah. Uh, mechanical or fixed blade, assuming that you can use either. I'm a fixed blade guy. Uh, I've only had one mechanical that I really ever loved and that was the Elmer edge. And, uh, you know, I've had, I can't really say I've had bad luck with them. Um, but I've had, I've had great luck with fixed blades. And, uh, if I can get a fixed blade to fly as good as a mechanical, then, and, and I've found the one that does that iron wheel broadhead is it's expensive, but flies good. I mean, it is just, you know, they, they go, they, they, they're, uh, they're easily the, the easiest broadhead I've ever had to like, you know, to spin and tune to get true. I mean, a lot of them, you end up, you know, put them on a spin test and you find a wobble and you got to push it, you know, on a, on the table to try to straighten out the shaft and, mm. and these things, every one of them is perfect. There's just, and so, yeah, awesome. give me a, give me a fixed blade. What is your dream hunt? Mm. Oh, it's probably not going to be, it's probably just going to be a really good tag for a deer. It'd probably be a, oh man, you're probably, it's probably looking at a strip tag. Just a nasty, yeah, 36 inch, just kickers and stickers and crap going everywhere. Give me, yeah, if I, if I ever drew it, I, you know, of course it's Arizona, so you wouldn't know until five weeks before the season opens to that, but I'd be down there, I'd be down there for four, for four weeks and and six days to to scout before the season opened. If it, you know, and the, yeah, I think that'd be it because I, you know, you know, I guess ask yourself, would I rather have a sheep or just a, the sky's the limit buck and it's easily a buck you know um would i rather have a sky's a 400 plus inch bull or just you know a chance at a 250 deer or something ridiculous like that i'll take the buck every day i mean just those big nasty gnarly muleys are just i mean yeah that's that's right up my alley back country food item what's your favorite backcountry food item uh well, I, I, I make my own jerky every year off, off in previous year's, uh, you know, kills, and, and I absolutely love that. But other than that, and it probably even, after a while, the jerky gets a little salty. Uh, it's got to be the Honey Stinger waffles. Mm, my God. Absolutely love the Honey Stinger. I mean, I got to put those in the, like, hide them in my backpack in certain spots, so I don't eat them all the first day. <laughs> Are you, uh, do you divvy your food up in like gallon Ziploc bags like we do, or are you just kind of a throw in a, a whole plethora of stuff? I was the guy that did all the, yep, I did exactly that. I would leave home literally with a Tupperware, like a three foot long Tupperware thing full of, you know, there's probably a hundred Ziplocs in there, and I've got, you know, two mountain houses or two, you know, two of these pro bars and two and five or six of these waffles whatever just like a you know, a ton of different stuff in your know, each for one for each day and i've actually went away from that the last two years um i'll take i'll take basically two ziplocs in with me and i'll usually just what i'll do i'll have like one of those big kafaro pullouts and i'll stick all my all my stuff that's that i can do ahead of time a bunch of well i actually tried to get away from mountain house last year and started using those uh the off-grid uh food but put those in there and some, some oatmeal 
and some bars. And then I take one or two Ziplocs, gallon size freezer bags with all my cold stuff, like my, uh, like my frozen jerky little packets that I shrink wrap during the summer, uh, or, you know, vacuum seal and little, like little teeny single serving things. And then I have something for my trash too. You know, you gotta have one or two Ziplocs to put all your, your sticky, uh, food wrappers and stuff in so they're not getting everything nasty. So, yeah. but I, yeah, I don't, I don't divvy it up daily allowances anymore. Like I used to, I just kind of went away from it. Okay. Um, well, I think that's it on the, uh, I, I actually recite these by memory now. I've done this so many times. And so I, uh, <laughs> now that I, now that I say that, I'm like, am I missing one? And I probably am, but that's okay. Um, okay. Real quick. Where can people uh, find you? um social media wise or where you know i know you do some reviews on uh for rock slide or kind of where's the couple places people could find you yep uh you can always see my latest reviews on rock slide of gear uh i'm doing the the hoyt uh ultra right now uh along with kafaro back the cavern and some other things that uh once i get them in my hands i'll uh i'll be able to say more but you can always find me on instagram that's that's my favorite uh, social media outlet. I much rather spend time on there than on Facebook because all the political crap. But yeah. uh, it's on on Instagram, it's just my name, Tony Treach, uh, Tony underscore Treach. Uh, it's T R I E T C H, and then uh, Facebook's just Tony Treach. But um, if, if you can pretty much find everything on Instagram that that I put on Facebook. So. And then, uh, how often do you do reviews for Rockside? I try to line up, you know, a handful of stuff, uh, every single, you know, spring, you know, winter, spring, you know, for the, for the upcoming fall, uh, usually four or five different items. Uh, I did some Sitka clothing last year and the Swarovski stuff and the Thor boots from uh, crispy this year. Um, you got the Hoyt, uh, review we're doing uh, for the ultra and the Kafaro uh, cavern. I'm going to be doing, I'm kind of excited about, this is, you know, I, I, most of my tags that I draw are archery just because they're easier to get. But right. with this one art, uh, firearm tag I have this year, uh, I'm, uh, I, am i feel pretty fortunate to be testing out a rifle from Snowy Mountain Rifles out of Montana. And it's going to be a 280 Nosler that they're custom making. Uh, I mean, after talking to these guys, I'm just, I am excited to get this thing out and still don't know what scope I'm putting on it, but, uh, We'll figure out something, you know, that we can kind of combo the uh, the article review with and let people know how, how it worked together. But is so that uh, that actually reminds me of the one question I forgot on the fire round. What's your uh, is that your go to uh, backcountry rifle caliber 280 Nosler? You know, uh, no, I, I've uh, I've well, a seven millimeter is. Yeah, I've got I've got a 300 rum and a 280 Ackley improved that I've pretty much done the, the bulk of my my deer hunting with a with a firearm um i've got a custom 264 wind mag but that thing just doesn't have a break the 280 actually improved has gotten most of the uh most of the work uh because we i had a, a gunsmith do some some custom work just lightening it up but it's never really grouped as good as i want it to and i it, you know but we got the thing down to five pounds and i after talking to the guys at you know paul it's at, at snowy mountain rifles I realized why it's not shooting as good. And it's basically all the, the work I did to it to lighten it up, you know, and you know, those guys are talking about harmonics and 
the way the, the the gun actually flexes in a slow motion camera it's like oh, I, I didn't know any of that stuff so i tough to you know. uh tough to get a light lightweight rifle to uh yeah. you know, to group like a bench rifle just it's one of those give and takes it seems like yeah so i'm just an archery guy i guess uh, jumping into that that new game i guess i mean it's it's a whole new level to take it just from a guy that you know uh and i've always been the techie gear guy with archery but with firearms it was just like well I think I know enough to shoot four or 500 yards and that's it. You know, I wasn't going to stretch it out too much further, but now, I mean, I'm going getting into a situation where I'm going to have a rifle that's going to be capable of a whole lot more than I am. Mm. So this summer I'm going to be, I'm going to be banging steel with that thing all summer long. And um, I'm not going to, you know, someone asked me, I think in the, in the thread that we started on Rockslide, like, how far do you want to be able to shoot this? And it's like, that's a question I can't answer yet. Mm. Cause I'm not going to just say, you know, if, if, the guys at Snowy Mountain hand me that rifle and say, this thing's good to 1,200 yards. Well, that doesn't mean I'm good to 1,200 yards with it. So I am excited to find out how, uh, I guess, how I perform with it in my, you know, knowing knowing that, that it's not going to be the what's slowing us down. It's going to be me. It'll be, it'll be interesting, but. Perfect. Well, yeah. Tony, I want to give you credit. I want to give you credit for uh, taking time out of your your life and your, uh, your work, uh, especially I know as the owner of a, you know, construction uh, business you you could be doing more productive things um i want to give you credit for uh just being being super passionate about um you know about the things that you love uh backcountry hunting and and just hunting in general and the and give you credit for the dedication that you you clearly um you know have a, a laser focus on what you're passionate about um give you credit too for you know the the thing that really jumped out at me is just the the massive mule deer that you that you <laughs> that you hunt and uh whether you kill them or not you're finding them uh you know on that in and of itself is is deserves credit so give you credit for that and and thanks for jumping on the podcast with me well, thanks for the chance yeah i appreciate the, uh, the opportunity sure one last question here and then we'll uh, i'll let you go why do you hunt you the bet. back why do you hunt the backcountry Whew, that's changed over the years. It used to be just to get away from everybody else, <laughs> but <laughs> but now it's more. Uh, I mean, once you get back into certain places, you get you, you find spots that they're so beautiful and so just you know they, they inspire you to, inspire you to want to do it again. And it's just you, you can't you know you can't get that 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 same feeling in any other type of terrain. I mean, maybe it's just something the mountains have always done to me, but uh, yeah, it's just, you, you get back to a spot in the mountains that no one else, you know, it, makes, it gives you that feeling that maybe no one else has ever been there before. And it's something you can't duplicate any other way. Perfect. Tony, thank you uh, so much. And, you know, we'll, I'll definitely be following along and, you know, hopefully we keep in touch and, and, uh, yeah. be following on your feed and hopefully, uh, see you putting up some big elk and maybe, maybe some mule deer this year. Sounds good. Yeah, hopefully I can draw a couple more tags and get this thing done, and then just focus in on planning, looking at looking at how small things look on Google Earth. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, and uh, let you get back to it. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Tony. See you. Later. See ya. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.